0: Or listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal, get to the finish line faster. That's right, this podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. So you're Upper East Coast, yep. start to finish.
1: That's true. That works. You can't be talking this stuff before we start recording, Bracken.
0: Well, you just left me here. I'm getting to know the guest.
1: <laughs> Hi, Sayard. Hey, Kirk. What's up? Do, do you want to know what's wild? Is that oh. this is the first time Sayard and I have ever looked at each other. True. No. Yeah. We've only spoken on the phone. Yep. I mean, I Kirk, feel like you
0: are sounding as if your mic's not working. I so
1: haven't put it in front of my face yet. How's that sound? Ooh. Does that sound good? Very good. Cool. Rookie move. I was outside catching fish off my dock. And oh, yeah. I just and I just scooted in here really quickly uh, and didn't do all the steps.
0: I just got out of the shower so quickly after my run. I'm not sure I even stopped sweating.
2: Yeah, those are the best ones. You just shower and then continue sweating through the rest of the day.
0: Lisa laughed at me as I walked in. She said, You're not wearing pants for this one? I said, No, I'm too I'm too hot. <laughs> well, stand up.
1: Why don't you stand up here? Show us what we're working with.
0: Oh, we'll go down here. Got some thigh poking out here. <laughs> are you wearing underwear right now? Boxer briefs. <laughs> in front of a lady. I, I mean, I have, I have something on.
2: I'm wearing boxers too, so no big deal.
0: There we are. Are you sweating as profusely as I am? <laughs>
2: no, I'm. I'm in air conditioning, thankfully.
1: Apparently, I'm the only one who wears clothes. A full, but see, women can wear boxers as like shorts. That's allowed, I believe. Correct?
2: I mean, I do it. And
1: these are essentially what I run in. Yours are a little tight, Bracken. I would say for public. Well, thank you for noticing.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, um, what was I missing about where you're at right now, Sayard? Because I think I know, but I don't know for sure.
2: Yeah, I'm in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, North Central Pennsylvania. Kind of my home mountains for the time being.
1: Okay. How long have you been out there for? Because I know you were you were getting to know your new residence, we'll call it. Right. So time. all
2: last year I was moving from place to place. Um, but like North Central Pennsylvania has kind of been my home, I'd say for maybe six to eight years. Uh, Central Pennsylvania for most of my adult life. And Yeah, I was getting to know like where I could do the workouts because I was living about an hour and a half from here, so I couldn't go to all my normal trails and whatnot for my workouts.
1: And you like to know what you're getting into when you hit those trails sometimes.
2: Oh, yeah, I do. I mean, like... Go ahead. No, I like to plan it out so I know exactly, you know, what I'm going to have to work with for the workout so I get the work in that you asked me to do.
0: Well, I'm going to be a little rude. <gasps> I'm going to be on my phone for the next 30 seconds. Okay. I have to finish manually updating my Strava workout for the day because it must count. What? The day's not over yet. Well, neither is my running, but AM run is done and it must get on Strava. And it was treadmill, so I'm manually entering it. So continue. Just know okay. I will be on my phone.
1: I'm going to introduce you, Sayard, because, um, so people understand how we got to this conversation. Um, and then we're going to get to know you better than I probably already know you, which uh, I'm actually really looking forward to. So, Sayard, you are one of my, like, and I don't own you in any way, of course, but like, you were one of my, like, (laughs) hidden secrets, like my, like, my personal, like, when people find out who Sayard Tanis is, she is going to crush souls, wreck people, and come onto the scene as strong as anybody we've ever seen in this sport. Because you're a stud. Okay.
2: Well, thanks. <laughs> you, you want to say oh, something?
0: Phone goes down. Yeah. I mean, Phone's down. Now I'm interested.
2: Soul crusher. Yeah. That's that's me.
0: You,
1: you really are. And so you reached out to me. Now, we haven't worked together in a few months, and I think we should get caught up on all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw you just went out and randomly won a 50 miler. Like, it was no big deal, which <laughs> yeah, is also, fantastic. So coach, we're going to get to all that. Yeah. We'll get to all that. Um, but you reached out to me, I don't know, was it two years ago, Sayard, maybe-ish, year and a half, two years?
2: Yeah, it's almost two years now. It was around probably August two years ago. It was during the yeah. pandemic still. Like, we were still pretty much in the thick of the pandemic, and I signed up for Hunter's OCR Stars, and I had no idea what I was doing in anything OCR, but I thought, I need to take this on in a serious way, and I'd been listening to you guys for so many months, really really thought a lot of the podcast and you guys as coaches your philosophy and everything I really just clicked with everything you said so I was like he's the one I need to reach out to about coaching for this OCR stars thing
1: before you get offended Bracken there's other reasonings behind that like we have a similar like health struggle story and all these other things that we'll get into um I
0: was trying to preserve you you're on you're on mute Bracken as we uh I I'm doing a lot of rehydrating, so whenever I have to gulp, as Kirk knows, it's super wet. <laughs> it's really obnoxious the way I chug water. Really is. So I try to mute for that. But no, I never get offended when people don't choose me for coaching.
1: You should. It's just
0: the way it is. So Sayard it's came, be a personal connection. It's
1: true. And Sayard came to me and I quickly learned of your running resume and I was like, Oh damn, like I think I stumbled upon the next great thing in this sport because your running credentials are fantastic and you're your accomplishments in ultra running are fantastic. And now as the listener probably knows, if they follow like OCR, you, you never really got out on course yet.
2: I know all that work and never even got to race after everything getting canceled with COVID and then my whole life up and changed and I couldn't get any races. Then finally I was going to get to race. And then I broke my foot, what, like seven, 10 days before the race. So, yep. Before. Besides OCR stars, I never got to do anything OCR in competition.
0: What do you think of that, Brad? you still could be this. You still could be Kirk's giant revelation for the community. Possibly.
2: I can only hope. This whole last year, I kept thinking, oh, man, he's counting on me. And my life kind of just, like, exploded in every direction it could have. And I was like, I'm not going to come through for him. And, uh, yeah, I was letting him down, but... I'm I'm still Not out true. here. I'm, I haven't gone away.
0: Well, whenever we have a, a guest come on who I don't personally know, I try to do some online stalking, and the first thing I came across was your Twitter. Okay. Can I read your Twitter bio? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> she looks a little nervous. <laughs> Ice Empress, Baby Bird, Forest Sprite, the half to fully naked goddess of cold dark nights and full moons. Manager, inside track LBG runner, Riverling. Now, I read that and it gave me no real picture of who you are as an athlete, but I just envisioned I was getting the female Benny Gifford. That's what I thought. I pictured a long, dangly feather pirate earring, lots of things in your hair, and I had no clue where this conversation would pick up and where it would go. But the moment you came on screen, I didn't. I didn't, it didn't match what I thought I was getting. And, and honestly, I didn't know if I even found the right Twitter profile. And then I started looking up running and then I started looking up some of your posts and you celebrated a birthday by going out and running like 20 at 634 pace or something like that. And I realized, all right, there is a, there, this is not just like our modern day hippie pixie girl here. There's a <laughs> runner here.
2: Right. And I think that's some. says a lot about who I am as an athlete because in one sense I am kind of this hippie tree hugger. You'll hear me talk about I gather energy from trees and rocks and you know everything out in nature but at the same time I have a really hard strong worth ethic and I believe a lot in foundations of training and study the science of that inside and out biomechanics everything like that so I feel like I get this mix of taking the sport very, very seriously and having studied it for a long time, but also I'm this free spirit and I'm just going to do it how I love it. And when I'm out in the mountains, uh, you know, fully to half naked goddess of the full moon, you know, that's my personality too. So we wrap it all up in one.
1: Do you, do you know how, when I realized we were, let's call them kindred spirits, Sayard, and you don't know this, to speak maybe your language a little bit is we were texting one day about something, and you told me that you were in your deer stand writing training plans for your athletes. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, and you and you go, well, not your deer stand, a deer stand behind your house, I think it is, right? right. And, and I was like, wait, you're sitting in the woods in a deer stand writing training plans, Sayard's a coach as well, for your athletes. And I was like, all right, I, need a, I know all I need to know about this woman, we're gonna be just fine
2: yeah that's where I can do my best thinking, so if I'm inside and have this mental block, I need to get out on the trails, go out into a tree, sit up in a tree stand somewhere, sit out on a log, and everything starts to make a lot more sense.
0: can't argue that where do you do you hunt or do you just like tree stands?
2: Uh, I have hunted, yes, it's not that a, a huge passion, but yes, I've hunted, and tree stands are great for just sitting out there and observing everything and yeah, and no one can really find you.
1: <laughs> Do you wear camo when you go up in the tree stand or really stay hidden or
2: sometimes. So I mean no <laughs> one's gonna probably go through that much effort to like go miles into the woods and then look up in the trees. You know. So it's just a good way to get away.
0: Well I'm way more intrigued than I even <laughs> was to begin. This is I don't know still where this is going, but it's gonna be a good conversation. It is. That's a, that's why I'm excited for it. Brecken, had yeah.
1: I ever mentioned Sayard to you? On this yep. front maybe yeah a few times You talked pa- about
0: Sayard and Natasha. Natasha, yeah. as two runners that most people here don't know but are monsters on the trails. Accurate, isn't it, so, Sayard? I haven't heard a lot about you, but it's always based around the word monster or beast or animal or something like that.
2: It's in there. When it comes out, it's going to be pretty vicious. <laughs> I love some good competition. I- <laughs>
1: What, so what I want to do with you, just because I know a bit of your story, Sarah, Obviously, Bracken does not, um, and the listeners certainly don't. Maybe some, maybe some of them, I suppose, um, is before we get to like. I think your recent like two years has been an interesting journey. I would say, you know, you've you've. I think you're going to be rediscovering what you're doing as an athlete. It sounds like is that accurate? Would you that's, say, or at least yes. refinding it?
2: For sure, and I'm always open to that. And that's the one thing I think that can keep us in this sport long-term as if you can keep adapting and changing as the circumstances change, as your body changes, you know, flow into the next thing. And you're not always bound to just that one, like one area that you thought you were going to specialize in, you know, there's a big world out there.
1: So Bracken, you should read her Twitter bio again. And then I, just to remind us, and then, and then I want, I want Sayar to tell us where this, the roots of this are, like where you grew up, how you got into all this. Because I actually don't know your backstory, um, which I'm very curious to hear. I know tidbits from us talking over the past two years, but not the whole picture. So, Bracken, what's that bio say again, and how do we become this this person?
0: Ice Empress, Baby Bird, Forest Sprite, the half-to-fully-naked goddess of cold, dark nights, and full moons, Manager, Inside Track, LBG Runner, Riverling. And then the first two tweets that are up are trail runner, central PA race draws, fast competition, and huge crowds. And the next one is because the morning you wake up and you've turned 34, you go out and run 18 at 634. So none of those two tweets, it almost felt like it was two different. Like I I, I found someone's profile and then other tweets were attached to it. it. They were just so dichotomous. I loved it.
2: Yeah, and I haven't, I'm haven't. I not very active on Twitter now at all, uh, but yes, those things are, are true, and that's me on there, and I was hoping you'd find my Instagram bio, which is completely written in Swiss German, so I was really waiting to hear you have a go at that.
0: Well, I got there next, but you don't want me reading Swiss German. Yeah. Well, now I need to pull it up. Let's... But point is, yeah. you present in just like probably 200 or 300 total characters between three different pieces there two totally different pieces of you and none of it tells me the story and I'm excited to hear the story
2: all right well um, I guess I I can start with the beginning of like how I even got into sports in general as a child uh, I was raised as a very competitive soccer player since before I can remember I was just waiting to get out on the field to play my dad was a highly competitive soccer player semi-pro, and then making it pro just barely as soccer was becoming bigger in the U.S. He played over in Europe. So then he settled down and had a family, and he was a coach, uh, coached at some like big soccer um, camps in the summer that brought in people from overseas and whatnot. So to me, that was just a way of life that you're going to be this high-end athlete. You're going to... Performance was key, and... So when I turned four, I was finally able to be on a soccer team and then I started playing every season that I could and had that influence from my dad that you're going to be the very best that you can be and pushing me hard as this, now I think back, this tiny kid but at the time I took it so seriously and at half times, all the kids are getting to go over and like have oranges and get this pep talk from the coach and my dad pulls me aside and he's telling me you know, you should have read this player better. You should have, you know, followed the ball this way. You should have shifted on the field. And he's giving me all these things that I did wrong I needed to f- focus on. And the second half, I better go out there and be, be a lot better and perform better. So that was my childhood. And, and
0: this is at four years old?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, that was my first time you could be on a team. So four, five, six, and then going forward... And once in a while, he got to be my team's coach, but a lot of times I had other coaches. And um, I'm 40 now, so at the time, girls weren't really playing sports too much, too long. A lot of these teams, I would be the only girl on the team. And to my dad, that didn't matter. I still needed to be the best player out there. And a lot of the coaches and parents were always thinking, Oh, this cute little girl, she's you know, so adorable. But I'll rip your throat out. So (laughs) that's just who I had to... Well, that mentality, um, that's still there. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that Mm -hmm. and uh, training was very serious. So we did a lot of running, a lot of drills. And that was just ingrained in me that that's part of life. That's just how life goes. You do all the components that you need to be the best athlete that you can be. Uh, So in high school, I moved into soccer, basketball, and then eventually played tennis, Uh, and I burned out from soccer. I I felt like the pressure was really just too much. I kind of needed a break. I would play more on, like, rec leagues, and still I just loved, like, bringing it hard against all the guys. And uh, this one time, this older guy was really upset that I could just, like, beat him on every play, and so he just, like, just... Railed me so hard in this one play, and he was probably twice my size and pretty much demolished my ankle. Which, Kirk, you know, to this day, that ankle still is a major problem for me. So then I knew I probably. Major might be be... an
1: understatement, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I probably wasn't going to be playing high end soccer, and the doctor had suggested I focus more on tennis. So I ended up playing tennis in college, which I worked hard. And I feel like you're
0: talking a high school injury is affecting you at 40. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. it's a matter. It's not a matter of like, if Sayard's going to
1: roll her ankle this week, it's like how bad and how will she do it? It's it, it really? got to that point. I would say towards, yeah, when you were really banged up, wouldn't you say?
2: Oh, definitely. Any, mm. any workout on the trails Well, in Pennsylvania, we have really, really rocky trails to begin with. And if you're running hard, if I hit, I could be the tiniest thing in this foot and ankle, just give out. And then I would have to say, you know, the rest of this week's going to have to be on flat terrain or gravel roads or something instead of trails. And I can still get by and get the work in usually, but I have to lay off the more technical stuff for a while because of it. And I, I've i run with ankle braces on on that ankle for years, probably eight plus years, just because if I go into a race, I could sprain it seven times in that race and it just gets so draining and you work so hard to have like a position in a race and then you never know when that ankle's just going to go. So yeah, I, I typically wear a brace if it's going to be a super technical race or workout.
0: Wow. Did you get a diagnosed in high school? Of what actually occurred?
2: They said it was an ankle sprain. They gave me some like archaic ankle brace at the time and... I think an air cast, which really just, they're just like, just rest and don't do anything until it's strong again. Or, you know, in that case saying like, oh, you're probably not going to be able to play soccer at a high level and switch sports. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm switching sports. So now I have to be the best tennis player.
0: (laughs) How did Did you play in a style of run and slide? Was that an issue with you with planting off that foot in tennis?
2: Um, It really wasn't too bad of an issue for me playing with tennis Uh, once I got it rehabbed. Once it was strong in that, because the surface is still level, so it holds up fine more on level. It's when anything gets unlevel. So I can even go laterally and everything fine, and that's not a problem.
1: Okay. So where did you play tennis in college?
2: Uh, Messiah College. It's a small D3 school in Pennsylvania. So it's not like it's this super high program for tennis or anything, but I played the best I could there and was still developing a lot of skills because I hadn't played tennis for my whole childhood. So I was learning everything kind of last minute compared to everyone else on the team um, and played there for a few years and ended up, finding as I was training that my favorite part of this all was the running component of it. And I was training with the cross country athletes at the school and I lived with them. And so I would do a lot of their runs and workouts with them. And they were trying to get me to run cross country with them. And I just said, no way. Cause I heard that the coach there limited their female athletes to 30 miles a week. And I was like, we're never going to we're never gonna jive. That'll never work. If someone's telling me I can only run thirty miles a week, and and so I was just doing my own my own thing and had never considered really running competitively. I just loved to run, so and to work. I want hard. to
1: interject then. So so you you were still running on top of your tennis practices and all of that just for fitness, and you never really competed in endurance uh, events. Let's say. At this point yet, like you never jumped in a race at any point, like you didn't really know what you were capable of. You did it more for your, yourself, we will call it at this point, which you still do, but you know what I mean?
2: Right. Yep. I just did it for myself and as a extra part of training, because I felt like I had also been taught like that you do like two or three a days as far as training goes. So if our coach only had us doing one practice, I was like, well, this certainly isn't enough. I need to do more and I would do long runs on the weekend And, yep, so I would just add it in on top of whatever training we had to do. And let's say our longest runs we would do in tennis were three-mile runs. I realized I was just done them so quick compared to everyone else as they're trying to, like, drag themselves through it. And I was like, that's really nothing. I had no idea at the time, really, even how far I'd go. I would just go out on time. There were no GPS watches and stuff at that point. So even some of the routes, I would have, like, had someone drive it and say – Okay, my cl- car clicked over another mile here. That's another mile, and kind of judge it out that way if if I figured it out at all.
1: Isn't that where we all started?
0: You know that era. Yeah, that era is done. I miss it. Over. How you
2: how you guys even talked about like the timer on the oven or whatever? You look before you go for a run. <laughs> I would do stuff like that or like my watch that had hands, I would like turn it back to like go to an even number and then push the button in and run and then then subtract to figure out how long it took me.
0: <laughs> Smart. Yeah. My freshman year of college, Kirk, we haven't talked about this yet, mm-hmm. but my first day on campus at a D1 university, the coach took us out in the car and drove the 16 mile loop and the 10 mile loop. And he said, you need to pay attention so you know how to do it, because GPS wasn't a thing, and online maps to map it out wasn't a thing, and you couldn't set it on your phone because smartphones weren't a... I, guess, I, sound, I feel really old saying this, but and then he tracked it, and then he it clicked over, and he repainted the mile markers for the year. When the odometer would click. And that was my freshman year at a D1 university. Can you imagine a runner these days or a tennis player going to a D1 university and the coach being like, well, we got to go drive the course and measure it. That's what we did. We did the exact same thing. Do you remember the
1: first technology, what it was? I remember the first technology that we had access to. Oh Well, wasn't it the, my first thing blew my mind was the little pods you put in the bottom of your Nikes. Oh yeah, and you'd go out and run. They'd say, "Go run on a track and run this, and then that will calibrate it." Eight and then... minute
0: pace, six minute pace. Uh huh. Did you guys ever yeah. use those? My brother did. I didn't like it. Sayard. I had a giant Garmin armband. I
2: remember seeing those in my mind. I never had any of those because in my mind I wasn't even a runner. So why would I even get into the tech of it at that point? and then i think somebody gave me a watch that was like a crow had the chrono feature that could save laps that was like my biggest first thing i'm like that's a big deal i'm taking this seriously
1: now (laughs) that was as good as it got i think in college we had those didn't you have the bracket? and that's what we all just use is our just our timex timex iron man (laughs) man. (laughs) and i
2: still love to go back to it and even when i first started working with kirk that's what i was using i wasn't using a gps (laughs) or i would put this at that point strava app on my phone but i don't love to use a gps and i always thought you know we got results without using all this high-end stuff and if you're being Mm -hmm. honest with yourself and working in certain effort levels you're gonna get results and the only thing that really matters is what happens on race day i don't care if you told me that you ran all these mile repeats at such and such pace like you, you know you either did the work or you didn't
1: simpler times it Mm -hmm. was simpler times Mm -hmm. you said something about uh two or three a days being like that's what you did when you trained and you got to college and you only had one practice for um, tennis so was that instilled by your father this work ethic or where did you pick that that rule up
2: yeah that was his his mindset where he'd get up four or five a.m go to the gym either do a run or like get on some kind of cardio machine and then do a lifting session and then I might go out and play tennis in the afternoon for sessions and work on skills and whatnot out there. And then in the evening, do another run. So in my mind, like that's just how it went.
1: It's making sense a little bit with how you, and now it's a different time, but how you'd break up your days even currently, like the amount of time you spend on feet. And if you were doing a double or if you were doing a gym and a run session, like you never seem to bat an eyelash at multiple workouts per day. That's still in there somewhere, huh?
2: Right, yeah, just add it in, and uh, even going forward, then, as I was beginning to run more or whatever, and using other gyms, if I had free time, if I have a block before work, I would go to the gym or do a run, and then after work, I'm going to use pretty much all my free time in the gym and doing a run. so I'd, it just kept continuing on and on. So when you would give me stuff, I you know, the more the better. Because that's what I'm gonna do with my time.
1: So I like that. Yeah. So then, so we get done with college. Um, I don't know when this had crossed over to competition for you. I'm also very curious what you've done. So I thought you were a few years younger than me, mostly because your spirit is like so young. I don't look at you as being older than me. I look at you as like because you're just so like lively. And so, not saying you can't be lively and old, but like you, you know, you're <laughs> like a, you're young at heart. You're an old what an old soul, but you're young at heart. Maybe would that be would that be accurate? Yeah, so, I could
2: definitely say that.
1: So the curiosities of mine, and I'm kind of jumping all over here, is one like I know you coach athletes now, but I don't know what you've done as a whole segue as a as a career in there, and then and then of course two like we've already gotten done with college, and you haven't yet towed a start line, so there's a lot to fill us in on like that transition. So like, how did that go?
2: I just kept running and training after college and I, I loved it. And where I would live, there were different like river front walk ways that were sometimes marked out with mileage and whatnot. And I could go out and just what I would do every day is do an out and back or in a loop. And I would try to beat my time every single day. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just running harder and harder and pushing myself, I would get pretty ticked if I would run one day a lot slower. Uh, I had no clue how to run workouts, I had no concept of any type of training specifically to improve your running at that point. And I just remember I was running down this riverfront one day. Actually, I was supposed to cook dinner with some friends, and I had forgotten all the spices. So I ran back, got all the spices, and I had them all grabbed up in my hands and I'm running down the riverfront and I saw one of my friends in a running group. And then I like tagged along with them for a bit just to say hi. And I had all these spices and I was like one stepping them. And this guy goes, do you always run that fast? And I was like, what? I, I just thought I was like hanging out with them for a second. You know, I've got these spices everywhere. And they're like, dang girl, you run this fast. And, then after that, they had said, why don't you come out and run with us? I said, I run a lot. And they're like, how much? I'm like, oh, probably like 70, 80 miles a week. I don't really know. And they were just looking at me like I was crazy. And so then I started uh, <laughs> meeting up with I mean, them. To be
0: fair, if I saw a woman running down the path... Carrying spices and not knowing what pace she was running, and I said, Do "You run a lot." And she said, "I don't know, maybe seventy or eighty miles." <laughs> I I don't know if I would take it seriously either. Right,
2: and, and to top it off, I think I was wearing these like fluorescent colored bell bottom pants um, in addition. Because
1: <laughs> so, you weren't wearing your workout clothes. Right. I wasn't.
2: I wasn't running. Yeah.
0: And that so, visual is wonderful. Carrying spices and bell bottoms. Yeah.
2: So then they said, you how did to that run finish? Hold us. on.
1: Did you end up leaving them? And did you end up? We're not done oh, with yeah. this run. Pulling away?
2: <laughs> yeah, I just had. What to, happened? I had to pull off and say, you know, I'm already late to make this dinner. So, you know, nice talking to you guys. I've got to go. And then I took <laughs> off the other direction again. And and they had said, here's when we meet and where you need to come out. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, I will.
1: What shoes were you wearing?
2: I mean, Crocs for all I know. I don't, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> or some like old school Adidas that had like the mesh and like, do you remember when they put, um, like the bottoms had like openings with mesh to let air flow in? Cause I always was like, oh, my feet oh, yeah. are hot. So they had these that like had vents in the bottom. And I mean, they're so terrible. Cool, sure. is that their version? Yeah, yeah. Kirk,
0: look at you. <laughs> yeah. Got it.
2: Yeah, so I didn't oh,
1: even
0: have a pair had of training. Response Climacool. <laughs> you what? I had a pair of the Response Climacool. What is that? That was the Adidas Response running shoe, but the Climacool uh, version. Well okay. At least you had you had somewhat decent footwear
1: on. I would say the bell bottoms are bad for wind drift, but you made it work. <laughs> right. I think we called them flares at that stage, didn't right. we? Right. They were yeah. the flare they pants. They were full
2: bell bottoms. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay.
0: Really dating ourselves <laughs> on today's podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sayard's fault. She's our elder. And I'm Don't the oldest that.
2: one here, right? So
0: <laughs> That's right. Sayard, take us away. So you finish up your spice run. I assume you didn't show up in flares to day one of running with the team, but what was it like to run with a group of runners?
2: Oh, I was so nervous. You said you were yeah. a one-stepper. Right. And Did you continue oh, doing yeah, that? yeah. They hate me for it. Everyone I've ever run with, they hate me for it. And I have tried to learn my etiquette over the years, but in my mind, I don't want to hold them back and I didn't want to get dropped. Um, so... I would just think, okay, they're running this pace. I've got to go a little quicker. And then they would, in response, would go a little quicker. And then soon they'd get really irritated that I took them into a zone that they didn't want to be running in that day. And again, I had no idea as far as people who are training for actual events that, hey, maybe they shouldn't be running this pace that day. To me, it's just like, I'm running. So, yeah.
0: Sarah, can you explain for the general audience what a one-stepper actually is?
2: So whatever the group pace is, or if you're running with a partner or whatnot, you're always just pushing at that one bit ahead of them to put the pressure on that they're either going to fall behind or they need to then pick up their effort to keep up with you. And then as soon as they do that, you one-step them again and you just start to pull ahead just a bit again. And being that these were most, uh, at that time they were all guys, they really didn't. You know they really didn't appreciate that and weren't going to let me start pulling ahead at all. But yeah, it...
0: Kirk, is there any excuse to let a one stepper one step? Well, yeah, caught f- up in that.
1: You mean to continue, like to allow it to progress into like a progression tempo run? Is there any excuse to? Yeah, allow for it? them
0: to say they get all upset with her. Oh, don't go with. True, but but she's a girl in pink flares, Brack, and we have to stay with her. <laughs> right. No one likes a one-stepper, but no one's forcing you to go with them either. I think the problem with one-stepping is it's sneaky
1: because mm-hmm. you don't realize what's happening until sometimes it's happened. I do recall a few instances in which I've been a part of that. Not the one-stepper, but the being dragged along. I, I would das not be a one-stepper. Never.
0: I mean, I've one-stepped in my day in the right <laughs> situation. But...
2: Uh, now I can use it like maliciously. But that's a rare occasion.
0: Whatever. Every time you're on the race course, you're playing mind games with your competition. Oh, so that's to my say, part. You're yeah. Okay, so you were you an intentional one stepper now? Like because a lot of one steppers aren't aware of. It.
2: Oh, I had no idea at that but if time. If you
0: weaponized the one step,
2: now I can use it. You know, if someone gets under okay. my skin and you don't want to play okay. that game, because. <laughs> I'll take that down to the grave. <laughs> so
0: but You'll go to deep waters. Yeah,
2: but that's really rare now. And I've learned so much since then and about either etiquette and proper training and whatnot. But yeah, at the time I had no idea. But to them they also were thinking, My gosh, what what is she capable of? Why did we just do that ten mile run at six something pace? Like what's happening? And I had I still had no idea. So that group they were they were encouraging me. They were like, you need to enter a race and I was like, eh, I, I'm not a runner. And they were like, oh, they enter a 10K. I I mean, not that I couldn't figure it out, but I didn't even know how far a 10K really was. So um, and then they started giving me some advice. A few, they, were, they had run collegiately at a, a D one school and One of them started writing some workouts for me and I was like, oh, okay, there's, there's ways to get better at this. And, you know, it's not just one pace every day and started giving me simple, like 400 meter intervals and, and I just really latched on to a lot of those ideas. So that was the beginning of starting to uh, shift my training in a, in certain directions
0: so prior to joining this group, had you run a competitive running race? No. After joining from day 1 till the first race they talked you into, how how long did that take?
2: Uh probably a few months. Okay. Yeah.
0: And was the first one a 10k?
2: Yeah, it was. How did that go? I got there late. I started the race two minutes two I think when I started they said, you're three minutes behind. Like they're already three minutes out there. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I better run faster." and so I think that race I ended up running like 36 something, and I had I had no idea what type of pace or what I should run. The guys I ran with said, "Just go out there and run as hard as you can." So, and then I, since everyone had started before me, I had hundreds of people to hunt down. So I was just Mm -hmm. like tearing through it. And I was so upset I had started late and I was going to come back to the running group and tell them, you know, that I had failed because I started late. So I, I just decided I better pass everybody. So, I pushed it so pretty that what happened I pushed it pretty dang hard. I remember half my face went numb during that race, and <laughs> it was it was <laughs> intense, <laughs> but I was
0: hooked so you ran you run thirty six minutes in your first ten k, so we talk about sometimes the bare minimum to run in the elite field in o c r and you got to be able to break nineteen as a female, and you did it back to back in your first ten k your first running race ever. What did the guys think when you told them the story?
2: Uh, their eyes were kind of lighting up, I think, with these ideas of like possibilities, like what could she do? And they started...
0: If she showed up on time. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: it, once I started training and they were telling me to run some of these indoor meets that the colleges would let open people enter. And so they were telling me the schedule that I needed to get into the... They wanted me to run a 3Ks for indoor meets Mm. and then start giving me workouts twice a week to do workouts, to prepare for those. And
0: And you ran some indoor three Ks.
2: Yes. And then they told me I needed spikes, which I had no idea about. So I went to the running store, got some spikes. They looked really hot. I was pumped. And the guy that was kind of guiding me told me you need to run a workout in these before you go and race. I'm pretty, pretty dense, I guess at times. So I went out on our paved (laughs) riverfront and I wore my new spikes and I ran my 400 meter intervals on this, on the pavement. And then I was like, oh my gosh, my shins hurt so bad. How do you guys do this and why? Uh, And so I (laughs) I did race in them, uh, learned a really hard lesson, had some pretty bad shin splints after that.
1: I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anybody, I don't know many post-collegiate distance runners who then go and run track races after they're done. Even some of the best I know never step foot on a track after their senior year. And your introduction to running was in that highly competitive, highly intense, collegiate, unattached type track scene. Is that is that what I'm understanding?
2: Mhm. Yeah. Huh.
0: So, the three K uh, is miserable. It indoor is indoor, especially.
2: Oh, breathing that and everything! I couldn't imagine how everyone did all those track meets all those years. But I went for it, and I, I really did love to suffer. So.
1: At this, at, I. I was going to say at this at this point. Um, are, are you in Pennsylvania or out east?
2: I was. By in the Harrisburg. way, where are you? Har- Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Harrisburg.
1: Okay, and at this point, just because I know what a trail prowess you have, and then Bracken, you can go ahead. Is, you still were just a just a road runner at this point, correct? I assume.
0: Correct.
2: Yep, I had not discovered the okay. trails yet.
0: Okay. I'm still hung up on this 400 meter workout on the <laughs> on the river path in spikes. I just can't even imagine everyone around you what they thought when you came blasting <laughs> by, clack 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 clack, yeah. in spikes <laughs> on concrete. <laughs> <laughs> oh and how horrible that would feel on your feet.
2: It did.
0: Oh my yeah, god. The hey, lack you know, of push off that was hurting you more than helping, of course.
2: Right. But.
0: Everyone that I've known in my entire life, the first time they put on their first pair of spikes and they run their first workout or race, you just feel like you could take off the ground and just fly. You're the only person I've ever heard of that had a horrible first reaction to spike. Because you had to have felt horrible. Absolutely terrible. And you're supposed to feel like the lightest basketball. You're flying. Thing on this earth.
2: Right. And I did I have come to appreciate them later as my training progressed and I did a lot of outdoor track workouts and ran in a lot of different styles of spikes. Man, I do love a good pair of spikes now. But I, I love I love to think back and laugh especially now the amount that I study running and training and how much I've learned. I, I just, it's great to see the, how, how much I've changed and what was I then probably 22 or so. And, you know, almost 20 years later, it's a completely different world where I can analyze any shoe out there pretty much.
1: At this point, you're uh, the guy who wrote your workouts. I assume he was also one of the guys you ran up to in your pink flares, so after that pink flare or spice run, and then the he gets wind of you running 400-meter repeats and spikes on cement, he must have thought you were a real treat, huh? <laughs> you remember the conversation? Do you remember the conversation he had with you after you told him you ran that on cement? Do you remember what he said to you by chance?
2: You stupid idiot. Something pretty much. <laughs> you stupid idiot. Even if you didn't You're know. You're only me. as good as your mentor. <laughs> you... I guess now thinking back, but he knew that was the only place I ran. I had never run on a track. So he honestly should have guided me and said, Hey, we're going to go to a track to run this workout. He got a lot more specific after that.
0: <laughs> no one told you not to.
2: <laughs> right. And that's pretty much how I live now too. No one told me not to. so
0: That's, that's a fact. <laughs> you have to be very specific in your workouts. Yes. But I and know better machine. I
2: know better now, so if I do say that, you know I can play dumb all I want, but I know better.
0: so I'm curious now before we move to the trails, how fast did you get on the track on the roads what What were some of the the times you got down to? What were your favorite events
2: uh I trained for uh, I was lucky and very fortunate enough to have some high end coaches work with me um and they just kind of latched on to me and gave me a ton of guidance would meet me at a track twice a week. I got hooked up with a, a track club and they had a, it was the Keystone track club and they had Keystone elite, which was uh, sponsored by Puma and you could qual- run qualifying times to get different levels of support from them. And there were like elite athlete coordinators and we had a coach. So over those years, I got very, very fine tuned with my training and a lot of time with track intervals where I really learned pacing inside and out uh, with the coach would force you to run laps. Like if he said 82nd laps, run a second over or a second under, I'll break your leg. And so you just hammered these out like to the T it was to the second and finally got to the point where I could feel that in and out. Like I knew exactly what every lap would have been. If I had no watch on, I could have yelled over to the side and no you know, what pace I was at for that workout in that lap. Uh, so that, that, that time I was training more specifically for like 5k to 10k. And they assessed that I would probably be the best at like five mile to 10 mile. Um, and as far as running races at that time, there was quite a bit of money available out there, especially if you traveled to, let's say the Philadelphia area. So I was training really to try to bring in some money in that more that like five mile distance, five to 10 mile distance, um, and got pretty competitive there. And I had this vision of kind of a 10 year plan. So I ultimately wanted to move up to the marathon to run an Olympic qualifying time for the trials. And but I wasn't going to go there maybe for 10 or 15 years. So I really wanted to spend my time in each of these shorter distances and sharpen my speed as much as I could there before moving up. Even though I was drawn to the longer distances, such like I was chomping at the bit to get into a half marathon. Cause I felt like I could just really rip it apart, but I was really kind of held back and told to focus on that five to 10 mile distance. Um, trying to think of some of my best times, there in the 10-mile, in the I remember I ran a fifty eight fifty 50 for the Broad Street 10-miler in Philly, which was huge, that had like 40,000 people, and I, I finished 8th female overall, and I think the 6th American, and that was kind of, I would say, a breakout race for me, where people were like, whoa, maybe maybe she's onto something here. Um, in the 28-minute range for 5-milers pretty consistently 35-35-ish uh, for 10k so I could be quite competitive I'm not saying I was the top of elite running or anything and I wasn't going to qualify for Olympic trials with any of those times at those distances but I was looking more toward when they opened up the half marathon time they originally opened up 115 um, I thought with like a 58 minute 10 miler I had a really good shot at qualifying with the half time and then once I you know, looked at five or more years out, maybe qualifying with a road marathon time. So that's kind of how that progressed from there. and Had a lot of great mentors that were, you know, they take me th- to things like the Melrose Games at the Armory in New York. And got to see Mary Kane run the, uh, the high school record that night. Got to go to a lot of national championships as far as cross-country national championships. USATF 10K Championships, 8K Championships, 15K Championships. Like I had people that came alongside me and got me in the scene where I could be exposed to that elite level and meet the elite athletes was was invaluable.
0: You've had a great support system from the start of entering the sport.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: That's so important.
1: Imagine if you didn't forget the spices that day.
2: I know my life would. Where, where been would we be? Completely different. <laughs>
0: That was divine intervention right
2: there.
0: Okay. <laughs> what were you cooking that day?
2: I wish I could even remember. Probably some kind of like specialty pizza or something.
0: That'll go a long way in the running community. I've right.
2: <laughs> um, I, I really let my cooking go by the wayside as I focused in on my training. So that might have been the end of my like cooking career right there.
0: So, Kirk, I don't know if you have a direction where you want to go, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious now. Did you ever make the jump to half marathon and marathon, and then when did the trails occur?
2: Okay. Yeah, that kind of got sped up uh, with injuries that came along. I have dealt with a lot of injuries. Biomechanically, I'm pretty much a nightmare. And so I've had, yeah, uh, really severe scoliosis to... Many of the doctors I've seen at the time were just telling me, you need to stop running. We want to put rods in your back. It caused a major issue with my hip, with my pelvis being twisted because of the scoliosis that I get a really bad hip impingement. And they had highly suspected like a labral tear. And at the time they said, we can either try to do something about this or, you know, let it rest and try to get back to training. And I had no thought of trying to do any surgery on my back or my hip because I had the mindset of, you know, I have more to lose than I have to gain from having a surgery at this point in my life. And so I'm just going to make the most of what I can do with my body the way it is. Uh, and at that point, I had gone back to school to study physical therapy. I ended up getting a physical therapy assistant degree. And I was working as a physical therapy assistant during this, this time. So I was treating a lot of athletes. I worked in a foot and ankle c- clinic where we did a lot of gait assessment Um, And helping runners with biomechanical issues, you know, just tweaking their gait and seeing how important that was to keeping them healthy or recovering from an injury. Um, And then I had access, I worked with a, a great physical therapist who also was, you know, helping me get through all this as I had a lot of injuries. So I was out with stress fractures, I... So then here's my transition to when I decided to make the jump to the half marathon. I was, I had a sacral fracture and a pelvic fra- fracture that put me on three months bed rest. And I I had to take three months of leave from work. And I kind of hit this point where, uh, where I was running for that track club, trying to push the envelope, travel all over the place, which was awesome. And you got to have travel funds. And get basically unlimited shoes, unlimited gear and I'm like this is the life. But then I realized I have to survive. I have to I am now out of my job because I'm pursuing this so hard. I'm laying in bed staring at the ceiling for 3 months hoping that my insurance pays me enough that I can make it. So, I was really reassessing, can I take this running as seriously anymore or do I need to take a step back? And so I decided even though I had time to run my qualifying times to continue on that team, I decided to, I, I just needed to take that pressure off because they had six, every six months you had to run the times. And I felt this pressure to come back sooner than I was ready to. And so I went to run one of the races that they, they. you'd have a list that you should try to run however many of these races. And I stepped right, I it was two miles into and I just stepped off the course because I knew my body wasn't ready. And I just thought, my health is more important than this, and so I need to do this. I need to break off on my own.
0: Was it purely a biomechanical reasoning for these injuries, or were there other pieces at play?
2: It That was the base route, but then I'm an overtrainer, and I will admit it time and time again, and uh, it's not a proud fact a lot of the times, but I'm always going to push that to the high-end mileage And so combine that with my structure, with overtraining, not getting enough rest, you know, working 12-hour days and still running 100, 120-mile weeks. Like, your body can only put up with so much for so long. So, I mean, yeah. I had just taken my body to the point where it had nothing to draw from anymore, and I was having these significant injuries.
0: What would you have done differently if you just rewind the clock 10 years?
2: Sleep two to three hours more a night instead of pressing to get in those extra eight miles that night when I got off work. You know, the days I worked, 12 plus hour days, maybe you can take a day off. Maybe use one of your 12 hour work days as your rest day. Like go figure. You don't have to train two hours before that and two hours after it. So I would definitely sleep more I would have learned a lot more about proper nutrition earlier on rather than just like getting by on whatever, you know, in a rush, eating when you can, what you can, and not really paying attention to the amount of stress. I I didn't respect the amount of stress I was putting my body through. I just thought it could keep doing it endlessly.
1: Hmm. To, To take a quick step back, you told these guys on this jog that you're running 70 to 80 miles a week with no goal in mind that I understand, like just understanding like your baseline was like 70 to 80 miles a week without like a a performance goal. Like why were you running so much then? Like obviously it's within you to do so. Like why why did that start unknowingly?
2: I think- Before I, we get to your yeah, trails. I enjoyed it so much, but also I just always thought it was, what I do is never enough. And I was brought up with this mindset that, good enough, don't settle for good enough. Like, it needs to be the best. So I thought, if I can run this much, I need to run this much more, because that would be better. And it also became just an outlet for a lot of different emotions. If I was stressed, upset, if I had anxiety, anything I felt that I didn't want to just sit and deal with, just go hammer a run. So that had me adding miles and miles and to the point, like, I don't know what else to do with myself. And so that's another thing I would have changed, Bracken, is diversify your life and have other things. I was used to be a person that enjoyed playing instruments and doing artwork and reading tons of books. I had a lot of other hobbies, and suddenly I found myself just, you know, in this one direction where it was running, 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 and I really had no other hobbies. I hardly hung out with anybody that didn't run because who has time for them Um, so you lose sight your your world gets really small and I, i think i would definitely now say i would want to and encourage others make your life broader have a bigger life and because a lot of times with these injuries when i would have them when that running was gone i felt like i was nothing i had nothing and we all have to admit one day running could be completely taken from us and you've got to have something you are you you are something more than the running
1: that is that's very good life advice there i think anybody that you see have true longevity in this sport do exactly what maybe you wish you would have done back in the day is stay balanced don't burn all your candles all the way down on the running front keep other things in your life we all want progress now but now that you have um perspective, you know that we can take our time with this and allow it to mature on its own without driving ourselves into the ground, right? It's uh, it's good perspective for people to hear. It really is.
2: Yeah, and people jump all in, and I get it. I was that person. I was that person that couldn't even stay asleep at night because I was so excited to do my next workout, and I get that. I I don't think there's a lot of
0: people like that out there. (laughs) (laughs) When you say I was that person, I think you might be the only one. That person.
2: (laughs) You guys guys don't have, like, butterflies? Like, I I don't even know what to compare it to, but I would lay there. I'd be so excited for that workout that it was like I might as well just get up and do it now because I couldn't even wait.
0: (laughs) There's some of that before I fall asleep, but it's never like I wake up like, oh, is it morning? Do I get to? (laughs) That part doesn't.
2: Okay, I've well, had
0: that, but not on a regular basis. But I've had that, yeah.
2: I, I That's how I would describe my running for years. I felt that way. And this excitement is always that unknown of how good can I get? Like, I could go out and, you know, I'm getting better every workout. Who knows what's possible? And so mm-hmm. it's enticing. And I, that's why I see people dive all the way in with this enthusiasm. And I support it. But also... You know, balance that too in a healthy way.
1: Did uh, did those injuries end the honeymoon phase with running? Was it officially over at that point? No. Or did that's <laughs> did this excitement you're talking about still carry on after afterwards?
2: Oh, it carried on to the point. You know, I'd spend three, four, five hours aqua jogging in the pool, do all my run workouts, aqua jogging in the pool. I was the person that all the lifeguards hated because. You know, they would hope they could read a book, but nope, here she is to come to Aqua Jog for the next four hours. So I I didn't lose the enthusiasm. I would just make sure I got my training in other ways, however I was allowed, based on the, on the injury.
0: So you are the exception. You are wired differently.
2: I, I suppose so. When I see other people now, I had no clue that I was at the time, but...
1: I'm wired that way a little bit. I've spent my fair share cross training and tried to stick to the script in its own way. But I think I've done it in short enough periods of time where I get back to running, let's say, two months later, and I realize the payoff is immense. Like, this is worth it. I may hate it. It is worth it because I get up to speed so much quicker. I assume you've, you've probably experienced that yourself as well after injury.
2: Right, I I remember this one time that really stuck with me that I had six weeks of just aqua jogging doing my workouts in the pool and I came back and ran my 5K at the same time that I had run my PR from before I got hurt and I thought, wow, six weeks didn't ruin this all. Like, I was able to maintain and now I can come back and start building. I don't have to start back way below where I was.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you hear those stories, but usually it's someone tells you you got to get in the pool and then halfway through you're looking for an exit I don't hear a lot of 4 or 5 hour aqua jogging stories
2: I would look, at the, that's
0: a long look up time at the clock the and
2: think well I only have to see the, the minute hand go all the way up all the way down all the way up and all the way down again and then I'll be done like that's nothing
1: <laughs> <laughs> those are rose tinted glasses <laughs>
0: <laughs> we talk about psychopath training for some of these things it sounds joyful for you though. Like for everyone else it's force yourself to stare at the wall and endure it and if you can get through it whereas you're like, "Man, I can't wait to go stare at the wall tomorrow."
2: <laughs> right, and I think that's where some of the that ice empress baby bird mindset that you reference in the Twitter is that I have this great imagination. So, I am telling I am creating all these stories, all these scenarios in my head, which is the same thing I do on long runs. And I have these great fantasy worlds that I can live in while I do these things. So to me, I could be in there and I could be writing the next best novel in my head. So I'm not bored ever at all.
1: is you... a
0: powerful tool.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when you were this, I mean, unless you had waterproof headphones, would you be in there for four hours without anything in your ears?
2: Yeah, later. And
1: still enjoy that time as much?
2: Right. Uh early years there were no earphones that you could use in the pool like that. And then I remember years down the road I got this little waterproof MB3 player, but it malfunctioned more than it functioned, so it was hardly even worth worth getting. So yeah, it was just quiet.
1: Four hours of just water splashing. I mean, you think the treadmill's bad, you think even the assault bike is bad or a bike ride is bad. I would have to, I can't imagine many other things that'd be harder to get through than that (sighs) mentally. Can you come up with anything, Bracken? I think a treadmill is far more enjoyable. I've done the aqua jogging. Four hours of that, if I had to pick my modality, that would be way, way, way down the list.
0: I can't say I've ever gone longer than maybe 90 minutes aqua jogging. I, I don't even know what would happen After that time, like how hard it would be to keep my posture correct or my form together or my shoulders and arms pumping. I, I, I don't even, it's all unknown to me what would happen after hour two and three and four.
1: You know, you know, when I learned the power of cross training is my, my junior year of high school, I had a lower back injury and I had to be out for almost a month of the season. And my coach met me before school every day in the swimming pool On his own time, he was a teacher, so we showed up at like 5.36, and he brought me through workouts. I came back and ran just as fast as I had right before the injury. I basically did the exact same thing you had said, Sayard. Fast forward to my senior year, and I got injured before cross-country season. Now, coaches aren't allowed to have contact because it was out of season, so nobody was watching over me. So for two months, I did absolutely nothing this time. And this is only a year later, and I came back as the city champion three, two years in a row, and I took eighth place. And I was almost two minutes slower than I was the year prior when I had won my title. And all that, that told me, and I don't know if anybody needs to hear that perspective, but that told me everything I need to know about cross-training right there, is I came back and won my first meet the first time, and the second time I came back and took eighth place and was two minutes slower. Never again. I'll go, I'll go drudge away in a pool if I have to. You get it. You ever had? I mean, those experiences, Brack, and I know sometimes you can ebb and flow when you're injured. I just, it was such a glaring, tra- you know, for me to see those two
0: differences. I can't say I've ever nailed a a an injury that led directly to race, because mm. as funny as it is to to say, I've had a durable career. In that I've only have minor setbacks, as things that take a day or two. The only things that have been major are non-running injuries, and they've been surgeries. And so my only real rehabs have ever been, you know, three to four months. So I've never had like that three to six week injury of anything in my life that I can Mm -hmm. think of. It was either almost a year or nothing at all. So I've actually never had to do a training block, have a race in sight, have something pop up, have to nail a non-impact block and then come back and race. I've never been in that situation.
1: Mm. Well, I just know through the, the time I've worked with you, Sayard, when things pop up, you, you're you putting the puzzle pieces together outside of running. You, you've done it your whole life, I assume, so you see the benefit too. But we don't need to dwell on that too long, I suppose. Let's get to the trails, huh? Well,
0: first, yeah? how did the half in the marathon pursuit go? If you're aiming for Olympic trials qualifier.
2: Right. So then I I hooked up with a, one of my best friends, his twin brother, Jonathan Gray, uh, Ryan professionally, and he started coaching me. And he became one of my very closest friends. Like, he understood my soul and understood why I do this. And really, we clicked in such a great way. He started writing workouts for me. Uh, the, the half marathon, I just jumped in really.
0: Wait, I'm sorry. This is rude yeah. of me, but I got to stop you. We had left off, you had sacral and pelvic stress fracture. Right. And now this is after That's, that? This is after up.
2: when I decided just to run on my own, free of any team, free of any, Okay, just to do my own thing at this point. And,
0: so you got Jonathan Gray working with you and you pick back up from ground zero, except with five hours, five hour sessions of aqua jogging.
2: Right. And I knew that my competitiveness, my competitive days weren't over. But I was trying to redefine it, and he was such an understanding soul as far as guiding me through that and helping me find the love of it and the joy of why I do this and expressing myself through it and not just being controlled by these these other outside rules. So I started to really thrive in that, and I decided, hey, I might as well jump in a half. And I wasn't really trained up for it, but I, I knew the, the one person that was running it was very an elite runner and I'm like I'm just gonna gun for her I'm, I'm just gonna try to take her down and so got in that I ran a 120 for that on a pretty hilly half marathon and uh, I was with <laughs> I was with her for like 9 miles she did end up beating me by not too much but I, I still felt like it was a really solid performance and I loved the distance um, and at that time I was also this is where the trail started to come in so I was training a lot more on trails as far as trying to get off of the road for all the impact. And I was having a lot less lower leg pain running on trails, especially for doing some long runs. And I was loving being out in the mount in the mountains and I, I just felt so free out there. And I was thinking, this is what I-, I really love this. Like I love the longer distance and I love being on trails. Uh, I think I should try to find a trail race. I also had raced some cross-country meets, some of the um, USATF like national championships, and I loved the cross-country as well, so I thought maybe I should try to find a trail race, and they weren't very popular then. This was at a time that there weren't a ton of them. It was a whole nother group of people, and you didn't hear a lot about it, but I decided I I told John that I wanted to try to get into trail racing, and he said, okay, he supported that. So I think a 10-mile trail race was the first that I found, and I loved it. Like, I just felt so wild out there. So, um, yeah, we took my training in that direction. He uh, was basing the training mostly on kind of pretty well-accepted, like, marathon training for elites at the time. And then together, he and I started tweaking that to um, go for skills for trails and adding in the hills that I was going to face and the technical terrain. There weren't books at that point on like training for trail running, so we were creating this as we went, and I would go into a race and come out and say, this is where either I was getting beat by people, this is where I was struggling, how can we tweak the training to incorporate these skills? too so we are constantly reworking reworking the workouts and everything to to get me stronger on the trails and adding in tons of vert i loved vert i love climbing I, I still love climbing and then finding some of the i was very i was doing very well I was successful in a lot of these trail races that were pretty much like little unknown trail races and then i decided to try to start getting into some higher end more well-known trail races that were bringing in the bigger names in trails at that time. And I was I was focusing pretty much on like 10 mile to 25 K 25 K is a pretty, except, you know, pretty common distance in trails.
1: So what year was that, that you, you did your first transition into, into your first trail race, uh,
2: 2013 around then 2013 and 2014, I really got into trail running. Yeah. I just absolutely loved it. <laughs>
0: Did you make it to the marathon?
2: Well, yeah, that's a whole nother story. So uh, so we were training me for all these trail races. And I was like, this is who I am. I was looking at people like Anna Frost and Emily Forsberg. And they were... I was like, I, I'm going to go as big as them. I'm going to... Skyrunning was big in Europe, but it hadn't really come into the U.S. yet. But I was determined that I was going to get into skyrunning. That was going to be my thing. And then the rut... Uh, out in Montana, they came into the U.S. Skyrunning series. Uh, I ran Whiteface Mountain Sky Race, which I did the VK and the Mountain Marathon back to back days. And I knew at that moment, like this is my scene, like this is it. I love the vertical K; it's probably my favorite event. And then in Sky in Skyrunning, you do multiple events. Like if there are two or three events. You enter them all, and that's how they, they do it in Europe, too. And so I was like, I'm all in. I'm going to experience this how everyone experiences it. I'm going to enter them all. So I entered the mountain marathon. The weather at Whiteface, it was the worst storm like I can ever remember being in. You couldn't see the flags. I was doing 3,500-foot climbs at a time in these whipping winds, and I had this hood up, and the rain was just bashing against me me for hours and hours and the trail the flume trails were like shin or knee deep water that you're just blasting through and I was just I just came so alive and I realized that so many everyone else was dropping out and I was getting more and more into it coming down these steep descents and I was just like falling in the mud and just sliding for like 50 feet at a time and everyone else was like this is too dangerous I'm dropping out and I It was getting better and better in my mind. So I was like, yeah, this guy running, it's for me. And so I I had uh, entered the rut, 50K, and I was so dead set to win the mule deer horns, antlers, that the the winners get. Like, those antlers were going to be mine. Like, that was my one focus in life. So uh, I was doing some other big races leading up to the rut. And at that time, I was a pretty wild downhill runner, and I was going for it in this mountain marathon downhill and on this shale, and I completely wrecked, uh, ripped my knee completely open. I, I remember looking down, and I, it opened up, I could see bone, I could see all the fatty tissue was coming out around it, I could see straight into everything, and I was like, oh crud, like, this is bad. And then the blood was just everywhere. I mean, it was wide open. So that whole event of getting me down off the mountain and to the hospital, and they had to get a wound debreeder in from another city, and I had put a bunch of blood clot. I carried blood clotting agent with me on the trails because I always knew I ran. So hard and out of control that I was inevitable that I would fall. So I carried this blood clotter with me because I didn't want to ever have to drop out. I just wanted to seal it with this like battle. They use it on the battlefield. I wanted to seal up my wounds with that and keep going. But this was actually to the point that was way beyond that. So they had to clean all that out and then they had to sew it back together in like three different layers of stitches. And then I knew at that point the rut wasn't going to happen. So I talked to my coach Jonathan and and I said, uh, Philly Marathon, Olympic trials qualifier. And he's like, if that's what you need to do, we'll do it. And so I am here with this knee that's like looks like a watermelon and and I forget twenty-eight stitches, three layers deep and and he's like, Okay, we'll train well, we have to divert from the rut, it's not gonna happen this year. Okay, we're going to go for Olympic Trials qualifier at Philly. So I had 8 weeks to to get ready for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Jeez. like <laughs> 8 months. I was thinking this will be 6 months.
2: <laughs> and I went I decided like this is it. I'm going to go for it with all I have and it is Wait, sorry. To what interrupt, it is. Did
1: you run through this knee issue?
2: I I mean, I took off the time that I absolutely had to. to the point like I could not bend this knee at all. But I started coming back, I, was, I ran a half marathon as a test run, two half marathons, and there, there were still, all the stitches were in it coming out. I'm pretty sure at Philly there were still a few last of the dissolvable stitches still working their way out. Um, and it was a crazy thing to do, I admit, but as he said, if this is what you have to do, we'll go for it. And I felt like I had so much strength having come off all of the mountain training that I had done and I still could fall back on a lot of the leg turnover, leg speed that I had from all my years on the road. So I just thought this is my chance. Like the, uh, that was the end of the qualifying window. So that was the last race besides like CIM um, that I could have gotten into. So I went for it. And I didn't run it, but I had zero regrets. I I ran a 2:49 there, and it was super, um, like 20 mile an hour headwinds on the back half of that course, and I was on pace for it, you know at least through like close to my 20 miles. The whole pace group I was with
0: was it 2:48 at the at I that it time? That was like 2:45. Oh, that
2: it? year was 2:43 still, and then the next year they bumped it to 2:45. And I was like, shoot, I mean, if it's 245, I'm going to go for it again. Like, that was just my first mm-hmm. attempt at it. And my pace group, I was with the t- about 20 women that were trying to qualify. Our group completely disintegrated. I was trying to get everybody to stay together because of the wins. I was trying to say, like, we need to work together here to keep the group together. If we splinter apart, we're all just going to take a major hit. And that was the one day that I, I wasn't running to competitively that day every other day I'm in it just to try to you know beat everybody else out but that day I was really just in it to try to w- run that time uh, but yeah that the winds and then the hill it's not a hilly course by any means but on the back there are side of the course there are hills that, that destroy you at that pace if so yeah I, I felt like I put my heart and soul into it doesn't that take race. much vert right exactly when you're trying to maintain that level of effort like any tiny little uphill in the least you're like oh man
0: yeah
1: um there's there's a few things that i want to make sure we cover today Mm -hmm. so i want you uh, there's three things in particular still so carrying forward off of what you just kind of led us up to i want you to brag a little bit um about like what you've done on the trails since 2013 because i know you've had some pretty big wins you've um i don't think you're much of a secret anymore as far as people who run out east anyways but um like what are some of the big races you've done some of your proudest accomplishments we were getting ready for the georgia death race uh which which we had some issues with in the lead-up unfortunately the body was misbehaving we will call it but but what are some of uh, what are some of these accomplishments through this? Not to bundle those years together, but why don't you tell me about them?
2: Oh man, I guess I I had some really proud moments. Uh, for instance, the Heiner 25K has been a very very competitive 25K, and I took second there two years in a row to some to like Megan Roach and Sarah Kais. and I felt like I had run really solid races there where I felt like I was holding my, not, I mean, kind of holding my own against the top names in the sport, so I felt like, oh, maybe I I can make it. There were some, like, La Sportiva Cup races, I beat the La Sportiva athletes that were fully sponsored, running full-time, and so I just got these ideas that, like, I'm right on that edge, like, maybe a sponsor will pick me up, maybe they'll, you know, put their money on me just you know saying that she has this the opportunity to go bigger and i was thinking if i win the right race i maybe i can make it and go out to colorado and train out west like all the like all the real deal runners so some of those weren't even wins but i feel like as far as performance they were the highest level that i had performed against really big competition and that's part i think of becoming a better and better athlete is putting yourself out there in the high-end competition and being willing to, you know, get your butt handed to you too because that's going to push you to the next level, not just always running races that have less competition or that you feel more confident that you could win. I feel like I was winning a lot of races, but I wasn't as proud of those because it wasn't against the higher-end higher competition with the well-known names in running and trail running. You're
1: um, you're one of the only – I think you're the only female athlete I have um, that when you give me race results, it always is include – like, men or women aside, like, your placing is irrelevant. Like, this day on the course, I was first. I was first. And first means first overall in your eyes. It's not like, oh, I was first female and third overall. It's like you lump yourself together. There is, like, no gender bias in your eyes that – because he's a man doesn't mean he's off limits to playing mind games with and crushing every single race. I mean, you've won outright some very big races, well, big long races, men and women. I remember, gosh, you were what race was that 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 you did? It was in the freezing cold in January, frozen idiot, or what was it?
2: Right, it was the fr- the frigid idiot uh, fifteen frigid hour idiot. race, right? And that was my key race that year. That Kirk, you trained yep. me for you that. Nailed it. So we won that mm-hmm. outright, and that was my own going in. I was going to win overall. That was absolutely the only option for that race, and i I felt like that was going to happen no matter what. No matter what I had to do to make that happen, it was yeah, fifteen hours. It was zero degrees, terrible winds, deep snow in sections that were was drifting, and you had a, a four four mile loop course with about seven or 800 feet of gain per loop um, similar to like a backyard ultra type style and you have 15 hours to do as many laps as you can and i got to 74 miles that day and beat out every last guy
1: (laughs) 74 miles in 15 hours in those Mm. conditions sayard is sending me voice updates via text seven hours in running up the hill i'm doing pretty good feel you sounded like you were out for a stroll just giving me updates pulling your phone out i mean 74 miles with that much gain in those conditions i don't think it matter who showed up that day but like that's just like i don't know i feel like that's just such a Display of your mindset doesn't really matter. The worse the conditions, the better off you are.
2: Yeah, that's true. I love storms. I love being in terrible conditions, and I just gonna I'm gonna use it to my advantage. There's not saying that there aren't times I'm miserable too, but I'm just gonna disregard that and let everyone else grind themselves down with the negative attitude toward it, and then that's just one more notch that they take themselves down, and then I'm just gonna rise above it and above them, and. Yeah, like
1: Bracken. So Bracken, you know the Ryan Kempson mentality? Like I'm going Mm -hmm. to hurt you even if, if that means hurting myself in the process. I feel like you guys are very similar that way. Sayard.
0: And it's interesting, we were just talking on our last episode about DNFing, and I shared that I've quit three races in my life and was very embarrassed about two of those because they weren't because my body had shut down. It was because I didn't want to be there anymore sounds like you're the person who lets those things happen to the people around them and then feeds off that. Are you impervious to that or have you had any low mental days? Not days. Everyone has low mental days, but on race day, have you DNF'd? Have you quit or have you backed off? Or are you pretty much on race day? I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to not beat myself. You're going to have to beat me.
2: Right. I'm usually pretty mentally locked in when it comes to race day, um, yeah, you're gonna have to beat me, and kind of the I've heard you guys talk too. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurt myself, and you can either. It's kind of like that stick or die type idea, of where I'm gonna press just as hard. I'm gonna live in this pain. I'm gonna keep my hand in the flame, and you can try to see how long you can hold onto that too. Like, it's gonna be this game, like who's gonna hurt themselves worse, and. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like I don't even race too, too often. Uh, Sometimes I go long, long phases without racing because of knowing mentally how I'm going to force myself to keep my hand in that fire and how bad I'm willing to hurt myself that you can only dig that out every so often. It's not a place I can go to all the time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, You only have so many of those efforts in you. They need to be spaced out, don't they?
2: Right. And, and then I just, I do love to feed off of, whether it's a guy or a girl, like, I want to take the race into, into, play it the way I wanted to play it. I want to take you out of your race. You're going to play my race. And force people to burn matches that they don't want to burn at that point, And take the control into my hands. Take them out of their comfort zone. See, you know, make moves. I train specifically, like, with different transitions as far as, like, uphills into flats or you know downhills into flats and work those transitions hard so that I have a chance to gap people in certain places that they don't feel ready to push and and use that while I'm still in control and then make them burn a match if they want to hang with me or not and then that just grinds them down over the miles
0: those are those next level workouts and skills that transitional running that crust the hill and the interval continues, right. you know, intentionally. I really like hearing those. And those are the things that you talk about feeding off of rocks and, and trees and energy like that. But in those races, those are are places to feed. And I love hearing an athlete who who identifies that and just doesn't do it on accident, seeks that out.
2: Right, and once I kind of started clicking into that for myself, now as far as a coach, like, I develop workouts for my athletes that work on those same skills, so they have that confidence in race day that they can make those moves, and those moves aren't going to push them into that red zone or whatnot. Like, they can make those moves confidently, and their fitness is behind it, and give those little opportunities to make moves on their opponents that their opponents can decide to respond to or not and then see how long they keep responding and you know if you can intimidate them mentally like how long can this person keep it up Um, so like i like to train them to have workouts that they work these things into their into race day
1: yeah i remember back in workout you prescribed me way back in the day was this uh 15 workout and your job was to After three minutes or so, then you were to put it down to flat and the flat pace you wanted to run before the treadmill was back down to zero. And so you'd be at 15%, but the treadmill would be at 11 miles an hour as it's slowly
0: coming down. Remember that workout like it was yesterday? Three, three, three. Oh, that one stung. Three minutes uphill, three minutes flat, three-minute rest. But that flat, like you said, starts counting – The moment you press the treadmill to go down press the hill and surge. Oh God, that was a brutal 30 seconds. That's a good one. It is a good one. I remember that one. And it sucks on the the Nordic track because the Nordic track goes down slower than any treadmill (laughs) on the man. Brutal. Um,
1: I want to ask you about some of your health stuff. And then I want to get into your curiosity with Spartan race. Um, as we end towards the, as we'll end up heading towards the end of this when we get there. But, um, As far as the health stuff, so there's one little thing that you haven't really mentioned yet, and that is your autoimmune disorder or disease, as we call it, right? Um, All of this that you've told us about, you are managing. Right. With something that makes this whole thing harder, which why don't you tell me about that a little bit?
2: Sure. So, yeah, this is a big part of the story and a big part of the shift in my life to who I am now. I have lupus. Uh, systemic lupus and i was diagnosed i became sick in 2016 pretty much when i felt like i was at the height of my trail running where i kind of felt like the sky was the limit and that the summer season everything started to kind of crash down in a way i wasn't performing at the top and that i want in the way i wanted to and i thought i i'm overtrained i just kept thinking i'm overtrained i need to take the summer off drop out of my races let them go they're not that important And uh, I did start to feel a little bit better at that time. And then I I got to go over to Europe to train for the end of the summer into the fall. I got to train in the Swiss Alps. And I I mean, I was just coming back to life again. Came back to the States and hit some really big races. I ran, won several 50Ks and mountain marathons back back to back to back to back to back weeks. And at one of those... Everything I remember, it's something snapped during that race where something majorly went off in my body and everything went downhill from there. Uh, I feel like I was pretty close to dying like the day and two after that race trying to come back. It was down in Georgia. I was coming back thinking, I am really sick. Like, I am jacked up. Like, something is so wrong. And at the time I was working at a running store, I was managing a running shoe store that I had that it opened and I couldn't go to work. I This was going on for weeks after I was just resting. I was too sick. I could would have to go lay down in the back of the, I would lock the doors and go lay down in the back. I'd be throwing up. My whole body was in pain. My whole body was swollen. Uh, and they eventually uh, were running tests and said that my kidneys were failing. So I thought, wow, I did this to myself, I trained so hard, raised so hard that my kidneys are shutting down, I, I wasn't hydrating properly, and you know, it was a big scary moment, uh, and then I knew I couldn't go to work, I was just so, so sick, and so I ended up having to resign from my job, and again, here I am thinking, I took running too far yet again, and now I'm out of a job. Because I'm just so sick, I have to focus on getting well. And then it was a terrible eight months of, of, of feeling absolutely horrible. Every joint hurting, hardly being able to walk. Uh, just oppressive fatigue that you can't even explain. Like having the worst flu ever. And the and eight months it took until they finally diagnosed me with lupus. And at that point, I kind of came to terms with thinking my running is, is over I mean, pretty much any activity is over. I couldn't be outside. The sun is a major trigger for lupus. So being in the sun would set me to the point where I'd be like uh, on the couch, not able to move or walk at all. Um, And trying to go for a run, I would just collapse like on the side of the trail just in tears. And I could be a hundred meters away from home and think I'll never make it. It might as well be a hundred miles like I can't even make it back it's hard to explain or for someone to probably understand that something could be that severe but it's pain and fatigue that is that severe so I pretty much gave into a life of living in a dark room watching TLC and feeling like I had no reason to live and thinking what am I going to do with my life from here Uh, getting on some meds uh, that were they were telling me we going to make this manageable, but I wasn't seeing any improvements for months and months on end. So, yeah, that was a big shift. I had to drop out of every race. Everyone was, like, expecting me to win this Triple Crown that we, series we have, and they were saying nothing could possibly stop Saired from winning the Triple Crown this year. I'm like, well, here it is. Yeah, I'm done. So, I, I was in a dark, dark, dark place, and... The same time that my coach I mentioned, Jonathan Gray, he ended up uh, losing his battle with depression and ended his life. And I I thought my life was over. Like, he was the one person I really felt like understood me. And here I am with nothing left. It it was the the darkest year of my life. So in comes where I can introduce, where I can talk about, where I got into coaching is uh, a dear woman contacted me and said... I knew who she was. You know how on Facebook you have people who you know who they are, but you don't you're not friends friends with them. And she reached out and said, I've heard you've been really sick, you're struggling, uh, but you have so much knowledge in this sport. Would you be willing to coach me? And I said, Oh I'm not. I'm no coach and I'm really, really so sick. I was like, ma'am, I'm so sick, I'm sorry. And she kept reaching out and she goes, Will you even be willing to give me some advice? Just you know, a few pieces of advice here and there. You don't even have to coach and I'm like, "Okay, I can do that." And she just kept persistent um asking me to coach her and then I finally thought, "Okay, fine. I'll do this. Fine, I'll coach you." And I was to the point that I was that sick, I did not think I could manage coaching one person. Um so that's the dark place I was I was in and I started coaching her and she came alive as an athlete, like her race results started responding right away. And she just said, you have a gift for this. Your story in the sport is not over. She said, you're going to reach so many more people. And she said, and also you're, you're not done in the sport yourself. You're going to be racing again. You're going to be on the top of mountains again. Uh, This is Michelle Benshoff. And I said, I just tried to play along in a way. I was like, oh, you know, that's nice. Uh, she thinks I'm going to run again. She doesn't know how bad this is. That's okay. You know, people don't understand. But she kept saying, you're going to be on the top of mountains again. And she said, I'm going to, she said she was going to run Leadville 100 and that I was going to pace her over Hope Pass and I was going to be with her at Hope Pass. And again, I just thought, nice thought, lady. Okay, I'll coach you to Leadville. That's fine. But I probably can't even get to Leadville. I can't travel. I can't do anything. So uh, this went on, I, start, I was coaching her, she uh, had some other friends like, uh, that she encouraged to reach out to me, and I one by one started saying I would coach a few more people, and she said, this is going to be your life now, you're going you're to be a coach, this is going to grow. And I, kept, I tried to have some faith with it, and just keep putting myself out there in little bits that I felt that I could manage, and, and work with the athletes that I could, and it did start to grow and grow. And then uh, I was searching for ways to get better myself. I I was on the meds and I also was reading everything possible about how to control autoimmune diseases. And I was looking to find that one athlete, like one endurance athlete that has lupus that's written a book on how to be an endurance athlete with lupus. And there's no book. And so I decided in my mind, I have to write the book. Like, it's going to be me. Like, I'm not going to give into this. Even if there aren't the resources to tell me how to do this, I'm going to find the way. So I just kept researching. I I then turned a corner when I went on to a completely vegan raw diet from a book I read called Goodbye Lupus.
0: Sounds like a bedtime story.
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) goodbye. Yeah. Uh, Don't let the door hit you on the way out, Lupus. But... uh, (laughs) So I implemented. It's like a very hard thing to do. It'd eat all raw, uh, vegan raw, and they they suggested six weeks to start. Nothing processed, no sugars. No, uh, it was very 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 strict. But I was like, I will try anything. And then I honestly started to have come back to life. Like I, pain was going down, and I was doing more hiking. I started implementing running. And I just kept following this and I was gaining strength and uh, yeah, getting better and better. So I was looking at all the athletes I was coaching and thinking how they put all their faith in me and had, you know, they were putting themselves out there and working so hard in these workouts. I was like, I owe it to them to do the same. Like I need to try to put myself out there and make myself hurt again, find a way to push myself. So I, I, I kept working at it. And then I decided that, to show them that they were helping me be uh, brave again like uh, Michelle had worked so hard to win this 50k basically I remember she ran up the one hill and was like this is for say or like yelled that as like a battle cry and so I was like I have to do something like that to show them they're putting their energy into me I'm gonna give it back like I'm gonna put it out there with faith and it's gonna it's gonna come back so I entered uh, the VK at Whiteface Mountain, and I had no idea how it would go. And I just thought I'm going to go as hard as I can. And if I collapse, I collapse. <laughs> and then I, I went there and went all in. I mean, the, everything was turning black. My, I am sure you guys have taken yourself to the, that place where you're in that past the red line and everything is going black. And I was just willing myself to the top of that mountain and... It's a race I've done probably four or five times and that day I finally podiumed and I had never podiumed in all the years past when I was at my peak. And then I was up there and I remember texting Michelle, "We did it." Like, and we did it and I'm up here and I actually made it on the podium. So, that was kind of that was my start to return to competition again for myself or trying to pursue it for myself anymore but I realized it wasn't for myself at all and it was really for for my team that we had become a team these people that I coach it's more like family and yeah so it just kind of gained momentum from there I picked up more athletes and started coaching more and then I held some coaching camps where I would take people out on training runs I worked with a couple other, other coaches and we we would take people on training runs and work on skill work, and I was just loving it. And I'm like, "This is this is who I'm meant to be. This is all part of it. It's not just about me competing. It's something so much bigger." Um, then I got to uh, enter uh, the Boulder Beast, which is a 25 mile race where you go up this huge boulder field. And I I love gnarly trails. I love super technical. I love scrambling on rocks like that's just what I love. And I my one athlete got me an entry just like two days before into it. And I remember him saying he told the race director to let me in. And the race director said, she's been really sick. Do you think she can finish? And he's like, just give her a chance. And I remember I went out that day and I was just so thankful to be out there. And then as things unfolded, I just went for the win. And it turned out to be like the best competition of my whole life. Racing this one girl, we traded spots probably eight to 10 times throughout that race and I was just in monster mode, just ready to to destroy. And a few times she's like, oh, she passed. And I remember she had said, like, on this one hill, I decided to eat on this one climb. So I took a few power hiking steps. She goes, oh, this is totally runnable. <laughs> and And then that just, like, ate at me so bad that I just, like, lit into it. And I was like, I'm winning this. I don't care what happens. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... <laughs> And I just took off that day. And, uh, yeah, so that was kind of my return year there. And then and then COVID hit pretty soon after that. So <laughs> it was 2019 when all that was unfolding.
0: My goodness.
1: It's a story, isn't it? It's a story. Can you, um, can you tell people that don't know what lupus is what lupus is?
2: Sure, it's when your immune system turns on yourself, it turns against itself and it views your uh, body's tissues and organs as the enemy. So it turns all of its resources against anything it wants. Uh, For me, it first turned on my kidneys. Uh, I had heart problems going on. It will destroy your organs. It destroyed my skin. I would have, uh, just my body would be covered in hives, these terrible hives. Uh, a lot of times you get this really bad rash right across your face called a butterfly rash and it's just very high inflammation in your body. So my joints, it attacks your joints. My knees and hips, they swell up very big and the pain is terrible. So really, lupus can attack any part of your body it wants. And because your body is always fighting itself, you have this constant level of fatigue because that's always going on in the background. Um, that you're breaking yourself down. And so you're exhausted, really bad headaches. Um, It could have any number of symptoms, really.
1: Yeah, it's like your body's fighting, like if you've ever had the worst bronchitis or pneumonia you've ever had and you might as well feel like you have the flu because your body's fighting off an infection. That type of fight is going on in your entire body systemically on some level, and we all know how exhausting that can feel on top of how Crummy, you can feel, and I assume going raw, raw vegan then would uh, really inflammatory autoimmune disorder lupus, and I assume the premise is reduce bodily inflammation as much as possible, and doing that through diet was a major was a major help in that regard. Is that is that the underlying premise? I'm I'm assuming eat it alkaline, is. eat yeah it anti-inflammatory
2: to bring the inflammation down, and then also hyper nourish your body with all of these vitamins from like dark leafy greens and. Just just blast it with as much nutrients as possible to feed it so it can repair where it can repair, but at the same time not causing any more inflammation or any foods that your body has to work harder to break down or fats and oils and meats that your body has to work really hard to, to break down it, that just contributes to inflammation. So it's give your body as much nutrients as possible while keeping the inflammation low. And I will say I absolutely think that it's been huge in my recovery. Yes, I still take my medications, and I still have to do a weekly uh, injection that is a immunosuppressant. So I'm not saying that you can't just disregard all medications. I wouldn't want people to think that. But I don't think I was able to get to the level of health that I was without following that, that hypernourishment protocol.
0: Are you still vegan and raw?
2: I am still vegan and a large majority raw. It's very hard to be completely raw. Now I have, you know, I'll, I will cook some things, squashes and potatoes and oatmeals. but it's it's still all vegan and no par, no processed foods, no oils. So it's been a few several years now. So every
0: day is a chore.
2: Yeah, it is. You figure it out just like with any when you're prepping your meals. You know, even when you, quote, eat normal, you get into a routine, you know what your options are. There are a lot of recipes out there, a lot of resources. I'm pretty, I'm pretty lazy in that regard, and I could have even better food. I'm, I'm the type that I'm not too picky. I can eat the same things often. But if you're somebody that likes a lot more variety, there are a lot more options. So you can get more creative with it.
1: The reason I thought of reaching out to you at this particular time, Sayard, because I've me- I've mentioned you to my girlfriend, Jess, a number of times is like thinking of having you on the podcast. It just never felt quite like the right time, especially in the last few months when you weren't feeling well again. And so what I, wanted, what I want – and that's why we stopped working together recently in the last, I don't know, few months, three or four months. Um, but then all of a sudden – you're back on the rebound, and Sayard Tanis is back, and somehow you've come back out of this, this secondary. You know we were battling the the lupus heavily, and it was getting worse and worse, and finally you were, you had to throw in the towel again, right? Like this battle is—it's not all sunshine and rainbows anymore, as as we know. So what happened in this last six months? Why don't you fill us in? Because now we got like a glimmer of hope again, like the sun's starting to shine on Sayard again. Finally, And I want to hear, can you walk us through the last six months?
2: Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, it's never, ever straightforward. And people a lot of times like to assume they're like, Oh, I thought you were better. This is something that never goes away and it can always rear its head again. And that's why I don't ever take anything for granted because it can be gone in a, in a flash just so I had come, you know, I was training very, very hard all last summer and, uh, Pacing a lot, I was pacing out in Colorado and doing a lot of like overnighters, and I think my body just got depleted again to the point where I didn't give it. I got to that point of almost feeling, um, like invincible again, like I, I did back before I had lupus, and I started thinking it can't stop me. I can I can do what I want. I can stay up all night. I can run. I can run sixty miles on a Saturday in a split double because I can and. it it caught up. I wasn't sleeping enough. I had a very stressful year last year, moving place to place. And I think I just played with fire for too long. And I had also been denied my injections from my insurance for many months. So I got really behind on my treatments. And then uh, the pain was just getting terrible again. Kirk, you kept giving me workouts, and I I hated it, but I just could not do them. There was no way I could will myself to do them, and that's pretty odd for me. I can usually will myself to do them, but the fatigue was so terrible. Uh, The paces were just not even in the same world of what I... Like, if you're telling me to run something, if I'm thinking this should be, like, 80 or 90% effort, and I'm running four or five minutes slower per mile, like, there's something seriously off So that's why I told you, like, I I hate to stop working with you, but this seems pointless. I'm just, like, ramming into a brick wall over and over. I come back to you every week and say, I did nothing that I was supposed to do. I did nothing, and that's a bad feeling. You feel like you accomplished nothing, and I'm just like, I'm a failure. I'm failing. I'm failing. So I finally reached a point where I thought, I need to take a break. I need to step back. I need to rest. I just need to rest and rest I need to stop traveling here, there, and everywhere and just really, really regroup. So that's, I, I guess it would have been like eight months almost since I had felt good. And so I took the time off. You had said like, why, why don't you just even hike and stop trying to run? Like why try to force something that's, that's not happening. And I did hike a lot and I would go out with some of my friends some of my athletes and I would do long hikes with them because I could still do that and then I rested I slept as much as I could and yeah you're talking about this last race I it was a last minute decision I was I went down with friends they were doing there was 50k in a 50 mile they were going down to it and then I'd always kind of thought in the back burner, like, oh, maybe I could enter one of them since I'm going to be down there cheering. I will have, like, a 14-hour day. I could do one of the races. So then I got into this and thought, uh, I'm, like, I think I felt better. It was, like, May 12th. I was suddenly, like, the, I felt the pain lifting off my body. It's almost like this dark cloud just lifted off. And... I was like, I think I'm coming back. And I went for some runs and I felt normal. I could impact the ground and not have terrible pain. I wasn't exhausted. So
1: Well what I had seen, sorry to interrupt, but like yeah. it was only it was only three or four weeks ago I started seeing you running again on Strava and I was like, Oh, this is fantastic. Say I was running again And then you post you had won this race like three weeks after your first damn run back or something. Right. I don't know the timeline, but
2: It was probably three weeks or less (laughs) since I started to just come back and get back into running. And so I figured I could uh, finish this race. Like, I entered the day before uh, because I decided, hey, I'm feeling good enough. I'm healthy enough. Like, again, nothing... You can't take anything for granted. And you never know when those days are going to come that you actually feel good enough to be out there. So I'm like, I might as well enter and see what happens. I could either one drop out or two... Hike, hike it out the whole day, so I, I decided to enter and then started into it and then I'm like, oh well, this is going pretty well. And 20 miles in, I was told I was first female and I think it was like around three hours flat on that. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty good time. So maybe I should just keep going. And in that moment, I kept. I love to. I think I've told you, Kirk, and I love to just try to run in the moment, like every step. Like each moment is the universe. Like each step is the entire race.
1: I have that book.
2: Yes, you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you can really get yourself into that zone that every single, like every step is new. You are a new person each arising moment out there. Somehow it can just keep me fresh and keep me going. And it can convince you just to take that next step. It's You don't have to think beyond that. And so that's just kind of how I went into it. And I, again, latched on uh, my roommate and athlete, Misty and I, she, she's been having a lot of health issues too. And I wanted to show her like, we can get through this. We're going to get through this. Like we have this faith that we're going to get through it. And again, to prove to Michelle that she believed in me all those, all those years ago, and she's like, you're going to be winning races again. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for this win. I have to press for this win. And yeah, so I did. <laughs> so that was the 50 miler, and I, I, I was so grateful. Oh,
0: I assumed the 50K. <laughs> yeah,
2: nope. Why would I want, why bracken? Why would I come back and just, who wants to hike out a 50K? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't even sound cool. At least you can say, like, I hiked 50 miles, then it, it can sound legit. No, I'm kidding, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My mistake. My mistake. Uh, I haven't, I clearly haven't learned throughout this episode. <laughs>
2: And, and I'm not saying, I, I would not recommend this, I'm not saying for people or my athletes to follow exactly, to follow what I do. And I can't explain it why one day I can't really even walk and can hardly do anything and the next day I could win a race. It doesn't make any sense. But I also come back to the fact that the amount of mileage I've trained over the last 20 years, I feel like I can fall back on. Um. A lot of that development and so I don't like to encourage people that are newer to running to try anything like that and I I try to say like you have to realize the years that I ran 100 to 140 mile weeks years of that I I honestly believe my body can fall back onto some of that so don't just try to do this it's not something funny and I I hate to see people put themselves in a dangerous situation and I really wouldn't do that I would pull myself out if I felt like that was the case
0: I mean, these are those conversations, Kirk, that make you feel lesser in a good way. Like there is room f- to get more out of yourself. I listen to this and think I can be better. Like sometimes it's good to feel a little lesser, or <laughs> to feel like your ceiling's probably not as close to the, the top of your head as you think it is. And these are those days. So thank you. Oh.
2: Yeah. And you, you always can give a little more. I remember Kirk, when you had me, you trained me up for the six mile for that uh, OCR stars. And I remember that day, that was exactly what I was thinking. I just kept thinking, I can give a little more. I can give a little more. I can dig a little deeper. I can give a little more. And I thought that, again, during this 50-mile race, like, I can give a little more. You can always find that little bit, and I would see I was a little bit back from that, that top-end line where I was going to tip over the edge, but I was like, there's still room in there. I'm going to move up to that line. I'm not going to tip the edge, but I can give a little more and move up to that line. And, and it's still a maintainable, maintainable effort. So I like to keep that in mind.
1: It's a special skill. That is a special mm-hmm. skill. Well, now naturally, because we haven't caught up in a few months, and then I, I poked my head uh, in, you know into your world out of the blue here kind of, although we've been staying in touch, I suppose. But um, So naturally I have to ask then. You hired me as your coach uh, mostly because of your transition potentially into OCR, which hasn't happened yet. Um, and then we can't predict the future with your health and all of that. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, um, you continue to feel better. What do you – and I'm sure you don't like to look too far ahead now, which would be smart. But, like, what are you thinking as we work towards wrapping this conversation up? What are you thinking coming up? Where is your head at as far as competition goes? Yeah, you're exactly
2: right that I don't have a really long-term goal at this point. Uh Things that excite me are still, like, the mountain races, the sky races. I would love to mix in, like, sky racing with trying some of the mountain OCR races. I still really think it would be so much fun. But I I try to take it right now one day at a time and see how my health is doing. And don't put that pressure on myself quite yet. I have a long way to go, I think, to build back up, like, any type of foundation But yeah, there are still things that get me very, very excited, and the OCR. It just, I, I love rock climbing, and that's something I really like to do. And some of the things, skills, I think that could take over to OCR. Um, So yeah, and I really hope that we can work together again soon. And I want to get back into structured workouts. But again, like I, even now, I've just been resting quite a bit. I was pretty worn down after that race even more than I originally thought originally I didn't think it was that hard of a toll but yeah you have to respect the body and that's a a message I think people need to hear especially in the ultra world is to really respect your body and be like team rest pro rest it's just as important to rest as the work you put in if you put in hard work and never rest you're never going to get the benefits out of all the work that you're putting in so I want to rest, kind of regroup here, and let my body rebuild and then see what the options are.
1: Those are kind of the bullet points if you ever do end up entering the OCR world officially. I mean, what do we think back in like, like rock climbing, endurance, background, running prowess, mountain aptitude? Like what else can you add to the list?
0: Yeah, mental game. Sure. Running speed, mountain ability, rock climbing, mind sounds like you're 4 for 4 <laughs> i hope and i'm just it excited loopers. to try again.
2: <laughs> that's my secret um weapon against anybody because when they're suffering and i've been when i've raced with people or run with people and i hear them complaining or uh, i just think i've endured so much more than you ha, here we go and so like i can go to such darker places i've been in such darker places it, and it just gives you a mental edge. I I think Bracken had said something about, like, with Kirk and your health and stuff, it puts a chip on your shoulder that you can't get another way. And it does put a chip on your shoulder and also adds in this amount of gratitude and joy that nobody else can understand. And it, it does give you an advantage if you use it that, to your advantage.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about it with Nick. We talked about Derek. We talked about it with probably 10 different guests that... What is someone going to do to you in a race? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, where can they take you? Right. There's nothing. And I think it's important. I think it's important,
1: too, though, to recognize, you know, because we had inner dialogue throughout the years together. And uh, you do get low and you do hit rock bottom and then find a way out of it. Like, it's not like this. Like some people might listen to this and assume that now you're just a steel trap and nothing can hurt you because if lupus can't, nothing can. But that's very much not the case in situations like any of these. It's like this ebbs and flows. There's highs and lows. You have an appreciation for the highs. You understand and endure the lows, which ultimately help you have perspective in your racing. But it's not like it's not like bullets just bounce right off of you in current day, right? This This oh. is still a... A work in progress, we will say. And I just don't think people should expect that it's like this glorious, never-ending rainbow. Once you beat something, it's it's still a day-to-day. Oh, you need to no. understand that.
2: Yeah, and it's never like, oh, I beat this. Like, the next day, it's going to beat me. I remember writing emails to you and, like, crying and saying, like, it's done. I'm exhausted. I'm so tired of fighting this. It's over. Like, this is finally over. I've reached the end. I've re- finally reached the end. I never thought it would come. And you go back and forth mentally and... Fighting that out on your own, especially when no one else can really understand what that's like. They can't understand how tired you are of fighting this day in and day out. And to them, sometimes it looks easy or like, oh, wow, I wish I could be like you. I wish I could win races. I wish I could do this like you do. You know, I wish you could too. Uh, But there are parts of me you would never want to have to live and to feel. So yeah for everything I am grateful for at the same time it it's a constant battle, and yeah, it's not all rainbows <laughs> absolutely not
1: kind of reminds me of that interview with Hobie Call. you remember when they did a little like what fifteen minute spotlight on him bracken with uh and he's like, most people see me winning races and wanna be me, but i I really don't know if people would wanna be me. remember that interview he did. Mm-hmm. What was that for?
0: I don't even recall, but it was people didn't understand the commitments the way he had to get yeah. his training in and all of that and yeah people mm-hmm. see the result and mm-hmm. they don't know what goes into it
2: right and I used to just kind of jokingly call it the glamorous life when people would talk about that I'm like oh yes I'm living the glamorous life that they don't see I've made a lot of choices mm-hmm. because I wanted this I, I don't have other things in my life because I chose this route they do have these other things in their life um it's not that I would change that but they just have to understand it's different priorities different life choices and it's not this glamorous life that you think it is when I'm laying with ice all over the place or laying in a tub or yeah. all all the you guys have been there it's not glamorous you're dirty you're torn up you have no toenails you don't even have the energy to you know get dressed in anything like to go out or anything it's it's a very Reckon special lifestyle. couldn't even put pants lifestyle. on for today's episode. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, though. I I just had a Facebook memory pop up, and I followed it back, and I had a message from someone I went to high school with. And they I said, like, hey, it looks like you're doing great. And they responded, like, yeah, nothing like the way you're crushing life. like, But, yeah, life's good. And I thought... You haven't seen my bank account. This was back when I was in Colorado, you know, trying to live the professional athlete life. You haven't seen my bank account. You don't know what my body feels like. I just finished 70-some miles with 20,000 feet of vert that week and several quality sessions. And you don't know what my Achilles tendon feels like. And you don't see that my wife and I are arguing. Yeah, I was on ESPN on a, on a race last week, and it looked like I'm I must be a millionaire. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you don't want to trade with me right now my end game yeah if i can achieve what my my goal is eventually you might want to trade with that but people assume if you win a race life is just good
2: yeah and you can hold on to that i mean those like those those fleeting moments you can hold on to them and have them last a little longer and feed off of them but yeah the, it's not the the end all you have to enjoy the whole journey and i oh. do enjoy the Every part of it, and being out there for hours on end, and the quietness and the hard work, but if you don't enjoy all that, I mean it's really not not worth pursuing just for race day, in my opinion,
0: yeah, well, even your best weeks, the weeks you'd say i'm the luckiest person on earth mm-hmm. most people wouldn't enjoy that week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people wouldn't enjoy it i'm 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 attempting a one hundred mile week this week after today i'm sixty miles in. And, is that right? Yeah, 60 miles in on four days. And I, I can say that most people wouldn't enjoy this. Like, running 15 a day isn't that fun to most people. Waking up having done 15 the day before and thinking, all right, let's head out for fifty that's not fun. You were doing 140. Like, that's, what what goes into that isn't fun for a lot of, so even your best week, people wouldn't want to trade with most of the time. Right. And that's lupus aside. Exactly. Yeah, what you find fun is not fun for everyone. That's okay. And it doesn't need to be.
1: That's probably most who listen to this podcast, though. I feel like the Book of Sayard is, is one of those which, just knowing you the short amount of time I have, knowing now more about your history and the question mark of the future, like it's a book in which I can't wait to like turn the next page, right? Like, Find out what's happening mm-hmm. next it's one of those that i think um people are going to want to support you keep an eye on you all of those things uh, i certainly do of course so with that in mind like um you're coaching and um you're on social media like sometimes you're on it a lot sometimes you're not what uh <laughs> yeah how it goes what uh where can people as we got to close this up mostly because i gotta go to work um where can people uh where can people support you find your info all that
2: All right. Well, I usually go by the Ice Empress, which is my trail name. And so like my Instagram is Ice Empress 444. The number is 444. And that's symbolic too. (laughs) Um, And then Ice Empress 444 at gmail.com is my email. For Facebook, if anyone wanted to message me on there, I'm Sayred Icy Tanis.
1: Why Ice Empress? I've never asked you that.
2: Uh, I absolutely love the cold. I was given the name by one of my trail siblings on the Appalachian trail, uh, that where I always trained. And I would be out there in the middle of winter with like a sports bra and that's about it. And just frolicking. I love the snow. I love the cold. So I hardly wear anything cause I, I'm always overheating. So I, I always like to wear very little clothes in the winter time. So I became the ice empress cause I, I love the cold weather. Yeah, so, yep, that's with my email and my, uh, my Instagram. And it's Sayer Tannis Coaching is the name of my coaching group. So if anybody wants to contact me about that, I could even leave my phone number. Anybody could text me. I prefer more like texting or if somebody messages me through Facebook to connect that way rather than social media. Like you said, I'm on and off of it. I tend to be more private, especially as Bracken alluded that, like people see this certain image and make so many assumptions, and I'm pretty much sick of that world. I'd rather connect to the actual person and hear from them what they're really doing, and they can hear from me what I'm really doing. So, honestly, if anybody listening wanted to, even just text me, yeah, I'm more than open to that. That's preferable to me. So have a real life. Oh, connection. This is the
0: first on here. Well, give it out, then. All
2: right. (laughs) 570-502-9720.
0: Like the Mike Jones of running. I'll be
1: very curious how that plays out as well for you, (laughs) Sayard.
2: Well, thankfully, there's unlimited texting now, right? Because back in the day when we old folks were around, when you had the limited texting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. the the month I met my now wife <laughs> cost me hundreds of dollars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what do you got, Bracken? Anything? I'm I'm very satisfied. This has been a really nice conversation.
0: Gratitude, Saird. Gratitude. I am happy to have been here today. I'm happy that Kirk asked you to come on in this moment, in this time. This is wonderful. And and this was this is again one of those that People, not everyone's going to take the same thing out of this, but everyone will have something they needed from this interview today. So thank you.
2: Awesome. Well, I'm so thankful you guys had me on. And anyone listening, if you, if they even want to contact me, anyone with autoimmune diseases, anything like that going on, or just so you're in a dark place, I am more than willing to talk to, to anybody about it and give my insight from what I've experienced. Because if something I've gone through can help somebody else, get through it i i want to use it to the biggest advantage that i can you guys i've gotten so much from your podcast so it's an honor to be on here with you guys
0: well that makes it all worth doing it thank you all right thank you say good seeing you
2: all right good to see you all right you guys have to come hopefully i
0: will see you at a race yeah
2: you guys actually have to come race run out here with me and then you can fully understand how I'm the ice empress baby bird. (laughs)
1: I'll bring my sports bra.
2: Yep. Once I take you on one of my routes, you'll understand it all.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a great one.